And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon called Peter, and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And then he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, in the boat with Zebedee their father, mending their nets. He called them. And immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him along the shore of Galilee and uh, came upon uh, these couple of brothers working on their nets. And he called them to follow him. Follow me. He called. I will, I will make you, instead of fishers of fish, I will make you fishers of men. Something that you have not been before. And these men, when they heard the call, they responded. And they, they had to do some quick, this, and they their first priority. They knew who he was. Uh, he was their Redeemer and Lord. John, in John 1, we see that Andrew and Peter had met him before uh, when John the Baptist said, Lo, here is the Messiah. And Philip and Nathaniel had met uh, Jesus there at that time as well. But they followed Jesus, and they were never the same. So all of God's children are called. In some of the epistles, Paul talks about, refers to the called of Jesus Christ. You also are the called of Jesus Christ, called to be saints. Uh, Jude said, to those who are the called, sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus. Now sometimes children, those of you who are parents understand this, sometimes children who are called uh, don't, don't respond, don't come. They keep going their own way. And many adults, many grown folks, many young folks, have heard the call of God, and they didn't pay attention. They didn't respond. They didn't follow. Those are not the called ones. The called that uh, Paul and Jude referred to and other places have experienced the calling, and they have listened, and they have responded. They are following Jesus. And they keep listening, and they keep following. So being called is not the same thing as being hollered at. See, there's a difference here when we look at this. So Christians are called.
They hear the call of God through preaching of the gospel or reading the Bible or the work of his spirit in our hearts. He's calling them. And disciples respond. And with that, I want us to be impressed this morning, too, that God has our good in mind. So, yes, he's concerned about our church and the good of our church. But while he's working on that, he's interested in us as individuals also, very interested in each of us and our personal development. In Romans 8:28, it says, And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. Now, only a sovereign, almighty God could make that promise and keep it. Only a God who loves each one of us very personally, individually, would care enough to see that that happens. All things work together for good. Now, that's not to be understood as Christians have life easy and that only good things happen to Christians and that because they're Christians, God will keep them from all harm or all suffering. But rather, this is telling us that the things that do happen, both good and bad, are orchestrated by God to accomplish something good, have the potential to accomplish something good for us, to make us better disciples. So whatever our difficulties or our suffering or our labors, whatever, whether they are brief or long-standing, they work together and contribute to our good for, for the best for us if we cooperate with God as faithful disciples, which we do when we love God and are called, following his call, and living in faith and surrender and being yielded to him. Maybe our interested in the world, a change our focus. I was talking to a man um, last week, I think it was, and he used to um, serve warrants and so forth to folks. And he said he's gotten shot at uh, a few times, and he said, getting shot at really clears your mind. You realize, that is if you survive, I guess, you realize what's most important just in an instant, You your focus changes. Maybe our circumstances remind us of our frailness and of our need for God like Paul's thorn. Or maybe they cultivate in us spiritual fruit, more patience or endurance, or just deeper communion with God. I think the chastening of the Lord, whom he 
he chases those he loves that Hebrews 12 talks about is part of God working this out, all things working together for good to those who love God. So we want to be impressed that while God is working for the good of the church and advancing his kingdom against the gates of hell, God is still is still giving tender attention to the individual Christian disciple. And he's still numbering the hairs of our head and caring so much about us. All for our true welfare as a child and disciple of God. So if we are Christ's we are the called ones. We have heard and we're responding. So let's look at some things that this call includes. The call to salvation. You know, uh, God, Jesus, uh, called the disciples and he said he would change them to fishers of men. And he was concerned that they go out and be ministers of the gospel and do evangelism and start churches and begin the spread of the gospel around the world. But first of all, he was concerned for their own souls and that they be saved. Second Thessalonians 2 uh, verse 13 but we are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren beloved by the Lord, because God from the beginning chose you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth, to which he called you by our gospel for the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now I want to notice just briefly... Uh, Matthew's calling in Luke 5, beginning at verse 27. After these things, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax office. And he said to him, follow me. So he left all, rose up and followed him. And then Levi gave him, Jesus, a great feast in his own house, and there were a great number of tax collectors and others who sat down with them. <clears throat> In Mark it says that, the, uh, that there were many, and they followed him, also following Jesus. And their scribes and the Pharisees complained against his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered and said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So uh, Christ's call to, uh, to uh, us is first a call to salvation. Before we can do anything else, we need to, for the kingdom, we have to be part of the kingdom. And so he calls sinners 
to repentance. That's the first call of salvation. And how grateful I am, how grateful we should all be uh, that, that Jesus stopped by our boat and called us. One thing I believe that we find with people who, uh, with a, a, a great testimony for, for God, is a deeply grateful heart for, for God's mercy and God's call and for God's work of salvation in their life. And uh, we need that. We're all thankful and should be growing in our thankfulness for that. And then we're called to holiness. You know, the call to holiness is just discipleship being worked out. The disciples following Jesus, following their Lord, their Master, and becoming more like Him. Peter wrote in 1 Peter 1.15, But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Become like your teacher. Become like your master. 1 Peter, the next chapter, in chapter 2, verse 9, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So the world is a dark and wicked place. And you'll even hear sinners saying, uh, non-Christians saying, it's getting worse. The world is getting bad. It is. But through the blood of Christ... We can be cleansed, so we're holy and set apart in that way. He lifted us out of the mud and slime like the psalmist talks about and delivered us from the, the power of that. We don't have to live that way. So uh, in Psalm where it says, Psalm 40 verse 2, He also brought me up out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock, and established my steps. I remember um, one time as a little boy, an elementary age boy, visiting my friends, uh, Milo and James, down at their place at Arimont Farm, and we'd go hiking through the woods and stuff on a Sunday afternoon. And I remember uh, Milo telling me a story about somebody who got caught in quicksand, and it was a terrible thing. He sank and sank and um, couldn't get out, couldn't get free, and um, he disappeared, died. So that added a little shiver of fear to our afternoon adventure as we walked along the creek looking for where there might be quicksand. So this miry clay is not just dirty. There's a, there's a bondage there also. So we're not just getting out and cleaned up, but we're getting 
we're finding deliverance, a way for deliverance out of this. So as we follow Jesus, that holy walk, a holy life, following his word, he has established our steps and he's set us in a good direction. Second Peter 1, 3 and 4, his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. So that's a wonderful work of God uh, in salvation, in deliverance to live, a holy life, and we follow Jesus and become like the Master. So we need to spend time with the Master. We need to read our Bibles, His Word. We need to sit at Jesus' feet. We need to live what we learn, to walk and work with Jesus. But uh, while time alone with God is absolutely necessary and it's good, we're not called to be hermits. We're called to be part of a body. We're called to brotherhood. Ephesians 4. <clears throat> therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling. So what he's describing here is disciples that have been following Jesus. So they're they're becoming lowly people and gentle, more gentle and long-suffering and so on, those graces. And Christians are called to live this, to live this out in local bodies of disciples, among believers, in fellowship. And they have a role to play toward each other. Hebrews 10 24, and let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more, as you see the day approaching. So um, this is a group of disciples who individually are following Jesus and becoming more like him, but as they live and work and serve together, they encourage each other in that walk. And we're called to that. And they make peace a priority, a peace that the Spirit of God works in our hearts. And there's, there's an effort uh, 
within us to have such a relationship with God that his spirit reigns and that results in love and peace that binds the saints together and affects how they relate to each other. In Colossians 3.15 it says, And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. I've often heard this preached and taught that this is a, a personal guide for us in living our Christian life, that this is uh, God, this peace of God is working in our hearts like a referee or an umpire. And if we don't have peace, then we know something is wrong and we better change directions or make some adjustments. But in the context here, uh, and I think that's true. I do believe that's true. But in the context here, he's talking about body, uh, the body and, and the kind of graces that there should be that produce peace in a, in a brotherhood. So uh, that verse there, Colossians 3.15, in the New English translation, it says, says it this way, Let the peace of Christ be in control in your heart, for you were in fact called as one body to this peace, and be thankful. So <clears throat> that is something that we're concerned about um, when we allow differences, or we allow uh, differences to become conflicts that disturb that peace, the body can be injured. So when a critical attitude creeps in or one member disdains another or harbors malice toward a brother or sister or secretly finds some satisfaction when somebody messes up rather than does well or encourages unrest or resistance. Those are not body attitudes. That's not body thinking. Now, we all have flashes, I suppose, I do, of the old nature uh, that we have to deal with. But if we allow that to fester, it's like a body part that becomes infected. And it's a danger to the body's health. So body thinking is genuinely loving, forgiving, charitably thinking the best of others and giving them the benefit of the doubt, edifying one another, encouraging unity and submission. All of that is body thinking within a brotherhood. Now the disciples were affected by the... Um, who is the greatest syndrome? And they argued different times. And you know it was on their minds uh, quite frequently. At least I expect so. But they often or numbers of times argued about who was the most important of the 12. Who is the most important? They even argued this at the Last Supper before Jesus 
was crucified. That's still a problem today. So when jealousy or envy and selfishness enter, or when there's a thought like, I wish I had that responsibility, or that I had said that wise statement, or that I could have done this, or done that, or be this, or have his talents, or personality, or whatever. That's not body thinking. It's a body part more going on its own. And and uh, then the body can become crippled. And it can stumble as it walks. So there's not the graceful walking and moving of parts working together well. Body thinking is being thankful that the work is being done, that the responsibility is being taken care of, and people are being blessed. That's body thinking. And being thankful that we have these gifts and this wisdom and these abilities among us for the blessing of the body, that's, that's body thinking. And the brothers and sisters placed among us, the gifts and abilities have been given not for personal ambition and prestige, but for the good of the body and for the glory of God and the advancement of his kingdom. So as a body, we desire that every part does well, do even better than we do. That's body thinking. 1 Corinthians 1.9, God is faithful by whom ye were called unto the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing and that there be no divisions among you, but that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. Think body thoughts. Uh, and we can, by the grace of God, who called us to fellowship with our Savior, to have fellowship together and work in harmony, in peace and love as a body. And then we're called to service. Uh, we don't become Christians, and then the Master says, sit there till I come again to take you unto myself. No, rather he's, we're called to serve, to serve this body, to serve beyond, as we have opportunities. I want to read a, several scriptures. I'll begin with Romans 12. Uh, Romans 12, beginning at verse 3. You might want to turn there and uh, follow along. Romans 12, I'll begin at 
verse 3. So the first couple of verses talk about putting ourselves on the altar, which we all need to be there. But then he says, For I say, through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, the King James says office, it can be a position uh, or it can be a job. Uh, and, And a position usually has a job, right? So that works. So we being many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching. He who exhorts in exhortation. He who gives with liberality. He who leads with diligence. He who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love in honor giving preference to one another. Not lagging in diligence. Fervent in spirit serving the Lord. Then a couple of verses from 1 Corinthians 12, beginning at verse 27. Now you are the body of Christ and members individually, and God has appointed these in the church. First apostles, second prophets, third teachers, after that miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, administrations, varieties of tongues. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, Are all workers of miracles? Do all have gifts of healings? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? Rhetorical questions. Answer of which is no. But earnestly desire the best gifts, and yet I show you a more excellent way. And he moves into uh, the charity chapter 13. And Ephesians 4. Verse 11, and he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Uh, several observations from the, these passages, and will not cover everything, but several things that I want us to notice. One is that God is in charge. We're, we're part of the work, and like this morning, there are nominations that will be given and so on. But God, Christ is the Lord of the church. That's what we're told in the Bible, right? So God is in charge. And we, we talked about, we noticed um, in Romans 8, how he's concerned about the big work. He's concerned about the individual pieces, individual parts, you and me. But he gives the assignments. We're the servants. The master writes up our job descriptions. 
We saw in in 1 Corinthians 12 there, verse 28, and God has appointed these in the church. And he gave some to be apostles, we saw. So when the employees uh, gather in the morning before work, I don't know if this is how it works in Paul's shop or some of your workplaces, but uh, whoever's in charge gives the assignments and tells the others what they're to do and makes sure that everybody knows what their job is. So we want to keep that in mind. We're the servants. We choose who our master is. We have chosen Christ to be our master, but he assigns the work, and he provides the opportunities. So that's how we, that's how we fill our role. And what a privilege it is as disciples to be servants of the Redeemer. Then a second thing, there needs to be willingness. And here I want you to catch this, especially thinking of this work, ordination work. We're willing to go. We're willing to stay. So like in that song, that we sang, maybe some are called to explore distant lands and peoples, but others are called to stay, and and the heathen are right in the neighborhood. So it can be kind of a, a tricky spot, Because um, while a new opportunity or new assignment is in the air as a possibility, we, I hope, many of us, I'm sure, many of us, many of our brothers and wives and families have been thinking about this. And as we think about it, we can kind of warm to the idea and think of ways that we could contribute in the role and it can become interesting and even appealing and um, and then if it does not fall to me it can be a bit of a letdown that has happened to some sometimes or sometimes even feeling a sense of uh, rejection. Am I not good enough? Well, is something wrong with me? Not necessarily. I don't think we should spend a lot of time on that. It is possible there is, and we always need to be open to that as disciples. It's possible the other person is better equipped for this assignment, or it's possible that God has another work for you, or he wants this job that you're doing. He wants you to continue in that work. You remember um, when Jesus and Peter were having this little conversation after breakfast, and Jesus asked Peter, do you really love me? And Peter said, yes, I do. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. And then he told Peter that, you know, 
sometime you're going to be crucified. He didn't just say it quite that plain, but Peter caught the drift of it. And he said, follow me. And then Peter saw John close by, and he said, well, what about him? What about John? And Jesus said, what is that to you? So that is a uh, just an easy tendency for us to, am I being treated fairly? What about the jobs that other people have? He has a more fun job than I do. And this isn't really fair. So I don't know what all was going through Peter's mind, whether it's fair to wonder if he even thought that. We don't know for sure. And I don't think it's that we uh, shouldn't be interested in other people's work or what their assignments are. But our priority, and that's what God, what Jesus told Peter, our priority is our work. Feed my sheep. Doing what the Master has for us to do. So sometimes it's a bit of a letdown. We have to work through some things like that. Some people have... Or it could be a relief. Well, that was a close call, you know. For some, it's like that, too. Either way, it, can, it sometimes can be a, a, a require some readjusting of our thinking. But we want to do that. We don't want to uh, uh, struggle with that long. We want to work through that. And it's good to pray today and uh, through these coming days for grace to be ready either way. We're willing, ready for what God, what God has for us. Willing to go, willing to stay. If there's no change in our job description, we continue where we are. There's work to do. Like the song said, and like Milo brought out. And thinking of willingness... That doesn't mean saying yes to every opportunity. There are times to say no. But for a disciple, it shouldn't be because we're just unwilling to serve God, right? That wouldn't be good. And I'll say this, regarding the brethren who are not available for the nominations this morning, they felt a clarity before God about their decision that this work was not for them, uh, at least not at this time. They have another mission presently, or whatever the situation may be, they are still willing servants, and they are still engaged in our church and in, in kingdom work. So I wanted to say that. And uh, again, the master assigns the work. And we're concerned that the work gets done, not so much about who does it. To God be the glory. Then we need to have uh, servant hearts. I'll not spend much time with this. 
Like Jesus did in Mark 10, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom to many. In John 10, Jesus uh, contrasted himself as the good shepherd with the hireling. And disciples are servants like Jesus. Jesus was the good shepherd, a good servant. And the servant, the disciple servant asks, how can I help? How can I help the greater good? for the greater good, for you, for the church, whatever. The hireling says, what's in it for me? What gain is it for me? What prestige is in it for me? The disciple with a servant heart has bought into the work. He is part of the kingdom of God like those who are part owners in a business would have more interest in its success maybe than than just uh, the average employee off the street who is just there for the paycheck, right? So that, that happens. But they are bought into the work, and they're very interested and very concerned for its success. Uh, Paul was certainly um, an example. He worked tirelessly, uh, very, very invested. Uh, The last point here is the need to be diligent, not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit serving the Lord. Don't be lacking in zeal. Have you read about quiet quitting in the last while? Quiet quitting. It's it's the idea of employees drawing their pay, but doing the least possible, doing the minimum requirements of their job, and putting in no more time or effort or enthusiasm than absolutely necessary but drawing their paycheck. So they're unhappy with the job or whatever. They're just not going to put much into it. So a couple years ago, this this term started quiet quitting, not just leaving the job, but just quietly not doing as much as you could. Some observers, uh, it was first it was kind of promoted as a brand new phenomenon, but some people wonder now, they wonder if it's really actually uh, just something that's been around a long time that otherwise is just known as laziness. And that that's probably right. But Paul says, uh, be diligent and fervent about God's work. And again, he was an example of that. So we have looked this morning uh, about the call by Jesus, a a um, how it's a a tender call. It's a 
call that is not uh, only for the work, it is for us, for our good. Uh, first to salvation, first and then to following Jesus and holiness, um, becoming like Jesus, and then to brotherhood, to be part of a body, and body thinking part of a whole, of a, something larger than ourselves, and then to service, not what's in it for me, but how can I help the way Jesus came. And that God makes the assignments and that there is a willingness in us to accept whether it's go or stay and to have the right heart, a servant heart, and to be diligent. In Colossians 4:17 it says this, and say to Archippus, take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord that ye may fulfill it. Now Archippus, he was a minister at Colossae, thought by some to be Philemon's son. But the instruction here to the Colossian church is to uh to encourage their minister. How about that? So the church members were to encourage their minister to take heed to the ministry. Do your job. God bless you. Do your job. So we all have some work. To Timothy, who was also a minister, a leader, therefore I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Stir up the gift of God. That was an encouragement to Timothy from Paul. So I was thinking about that. And what if we all stirred up our gifts? Now, I'm not saying that your gifts aren't stirred already. But uh, that's good for us to think about. It's good for us to think about that this morning. Stirring up our gifts. And what will happen if we do? Well, I think that we will grow. We will each grow a little closer to the Master. When disciples stir up their gifts, they become a little more like the Master and they become more useful as they're more like the master they're more useful and the church will be blessed and the community will see a brighter light may the Lord bless us as we follow Jesus